before the service, Janice and I were talking about how, you know, a short eight months ago, uh, we'd have that moment in the service where we would encourage you to greet one another. And we were discussing how much we miss that and how it's hard to figure out how to do that now. Um, and every social interaction, there's this kind of like weird, are we, are we pounding? Are we elbowing? What are we doing? Are we air hugging? Um, and in the Catholic Mass, the idea is you're passing peace when you do that. That you are taking the peace that God's given to you and you are bestowing it on somebody else. And so um, in believing in the power of words, if you'll join me in a moment, I'm going to say, like, peace be with you, using my hands as if I have the force um, to thrust that into your hearts. And then if you wouldn't mind sending that back to me and to others saying, peace be with you as well. So peace be with you. All right, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get better at that. We'll get better at that. Uh, well, we are continuing in the sermon series called One Body, and the entire emphasis of that is that you matter to God, that you matter to this church, and that this church matters in terms of how we operate for the world, that God wants to bestow upon you all of his promises, all of his peace so that that can be something we experience together and then it can be something that we actually have to offer to the world. And as we do that, I want to invite you into two things that we're beginning this week so that we exist as one body, not just in a church together, online or in person, but that we actually practice being the body together. And so I want to tell you about how our online content is shifting starting tomorrow and a little bit of how you can engage with community. So on our online content, on our social media, could somebody give me some water for some reason? Um, I, don't, I don't know why I've suddenly lost anything in my throat. Um, <coughs> not COVID related, I promise. Isn't that how you feel now? You, like, you sneeze because you went outside and everyone's like, clear the path. Um, all right, so for the last seven and a half months, since we went online, we really kicked off our social media um, with our Instagram and our Facebook Live. And for seven and a half months, we did a daily devotional together. And the entire idea being that in an uncertain time where the foundations of the world were shifting. All right, we're good. In an uncertain time where the foundations of the world were shifting, that we would place ourselves on the strong foundation of God's word, something that is eternal when everything else feels temporary. That when there's unanswered questions, there is certainty in God, and so let's stand on the foundation of the scriptures. And it's been beautiful to hear so many of the people in our church be able to articulate the word of God to you, and I've loved it. It's served its purpose for that season. But now as we turn kind of in this new phase, both as a church and in the pandemic of our society, there's this emphasis on what God needs to do now is to really address the mental health. There's a mental health crisis the longer that this pandemic goes on. And so starting tomorrow at 9 a.m., we're inviting you to pause and pray. 
And what's going to happen is it's an invitation to focus your attention, not on the news of the day, not on the task list that you have to do, but to pause and together that we would focus in prayer. And then there'll be a minute video to encourage you just to rest. Because studies have shown that it just takes one minute for your mind to reset from an anxious state into a place of peace. And then together, there's going to be a written prayer that we pray together, and there's going to be a focus of that each week. And the written prayers are going to be put online onto our weekly rhythm every single Monday of what we're praying each day. Some of that's going to be about you and you praying personally to God. Some of it's going to be praying for the church. Some of it's going to be outward praying for the world and the city. Because we believe in the power of prayer to both bring mental health to us, but also to bring health to the world. So pause and pray starting tomorrow. And then the second thing is we want you to get connected. We have small groups that allow you to interact with your faith with other people. So whether you're in the midst of a lot of questions, confusion about God, or whether you're just longing to go deep in your faith and grow with God, we have small groups that are focused on that. And so for you to get connected, the way to do that is to email Marcy Miller, our care minister, Marcy with an I at LowerManhattanChurch.com to get connected. I can't emphasize enough that to be one body means more than just to gather in one place, but is to be the people of God pursuing his promises together. So with that, I want to read from this passage that we've been sitting in for these last few weeks, Colossians chapter 3. I'm just going to read 12 through 15 today. Because it's from those verses that God gave me a message I wasn't expecting. Because when I scheduled this out, today's topic was not on the schedule. And then on Monday, God was like, remember who's in charge? I have a word for these people that you need to tell them. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Will you please pray with me? Father, we open our hands to you that you would fill us with your goodness and your blessings. We open our minds to you that you would fill it with truth. And we open our hearts to you that you would change and transform us into your plans and your purposes. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As a family, we are huge Harry Potter fans. Um, Any other Harry Potter fans in the audience? Yes? Great. Well, each of our family members except for one has read the entire series, and my daughter, who's nine, is now on her way to finishing, and she's towards the end of book six. And as we have gone through book six together, we've decided to read it as a family because we have a lot of time on our hands these days. And so I read it out loud, and I have an awful British accent that I try to use to, like, make it more authentic to the movie experience for them, and they laugh, and they enjoy it, and it makes it more fun. 
And what's really good for us to experience is to watch my daughter have that experience we all know and love where you're reading something for the first time and it's fresh and it kind of awakens you to these new ideas. And yesterday as we were reading, there's this story about Dumbledore who is the greatest wizard of all time and he is the headmaster of of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And there's this conversation that's happening about how he got that role and why he, who was most powerful, chose to stay in it. And it says that he was asked three times to leave that post to become the minister of magic, to use all of his power and all of his ability to lead the magical world in his country. And, he, and he's asked why, and he says he chooses to use all of that power and all of that knowledge to be able to bestow it upon the next generation. And my daughter stops us, and she's like, wow, just imagine What would it have been like if Dumbledore actually wasn't the headmaster at Hogwarts, but he was the minister of magic? This entire story changes. It's so different. It's not as special. And we all thought it was really cute for her to have that reaction and really fun. But as I reflected on it, I realized that that's by intention and design from the author that J.K. Rowling knew that he had one role to play and the best role that he could play for the story, for the most effect, for the most power, for the, the most kind of move along this was for him to play that role. And that God, as the author of a grand story, says the same thing about you. That he says you were designed specifically with his intent and purpose in mind, and you had a role to play in the story, that he puts you in this family, in this place, at this time, and that the whole story would be different, and it wouldn't be as good if you weren't there with those people in that moment, with those gifts and that unique design. And this week, God was just on me to say we need to make a connection between God's choice of us and his design for our lives and the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. Because I did not design the sermon series connecting those dots, even though it starts off in verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, then do all these things. Because I didn't see the connection between being a chosen one of God and living in the peace of his kingdom with the Prince of Peace reigning over me. But over the course of this week, God showed me that that, that that is the very thing that matters most. That if we do not live as the chosen one in that identity, then we cannot experience the peace which he has chosen to bestow upon us as our Lord and Savior. That we need to understand what it means to be God's chosen ones. Now, I shied away from it for a couple of reasons. It carries a lot of baggage. That the idea of being chosen feels exclusive. Like it's pushing some people away from God and it's drawing some people in. Or there's other baggage about this precise, narrow path that has to go on for you to actually experience being chosen. But the more that I studied this, the more that I had my eyes open to this idea of what it means to be chosen. And where it worked in my life is that God really showed me 
that I can either live as his chosen one, meaning that he is my father and I'm his son in whom he's well pleased, or I can live as an orphan. I can live as an abandoned, forgotten orphan, and I can live in this mindset that I'm on my own, that God does not care for me, his goodness does not come to me, it's only for some other people. And what he started to work on me is to realize that over the last five years, he's actually been trying to heal two big things in my life that are actually connected when I had disconnected them. Fear and anxiety, which I've talked a ton about. But this orphan mindset, an orphan mindset that says, I have to do it all on my own that I have to succeed on my own, that I have to achieve peace on my own, that yes, I hear the promises of God, I even declare he's good from the stage all the time, and yet I live as if his goodness isn't for me. Or I have to take control over my life so that I can have peace, so that if my plans work out and I create a a path of security, whether it be financial or in relationships through approval, then I have peace. And so I have to latch onto this control and make it happen because I have no one working on my behalf. And God has said that I am not an orphan, but I have the spirit of adoption by which I can cry to him as a father so that if I don't have to operate in a spirit of fear, but I can operate in a spirit of love chosen, embraced, cared for, provided for, protected by the God of the universe. Now, let me help you emphasize how this orphan spirit manifests itself, this orphan mindset, if you will. I see it manifest in two big ways in my life. One is decision-making, big decisions. You know how there's times where you have two good options and you're like, oh my gosh, if I choose this one, What if it goes wrong? What if it goes bad? Can God really bless this? Or do I have to wrestle and make sure I choose this precise, narrow path? Because if I fall on this side and God didn't want me to do that, then my life is over. And we wrestle with these two good decisions. Now, there's a difference between two good decisions and a good and a bad decision. Those bad decisions that we know are going to be harmful to us or harmful to others, it's like we shouldn't expect to choose that and go, oh, well, God's going to bless it already. But when he presents us two good options, how do we respond? Do we respond with this anxious fear that we're walking a tight rope? And if we, if we choose this step, it has to be the right one. And we put this pressure on every decision. Because if we do this and it goes that way, we're going to miss out on God's blessings. We're going to miss out on his promises. And what God has shown me over these last few years that he called to mind this week is that that's not how a father works with his children. (laughs) When he presents two good options, he's really ready to bless whichever option that they choose. That he's not afraid that you're going to ruin his plans. See, in the middle of this pandemic, or when problems come up into our lives, and they change our plans, we think they're also changing our purpose. But while this has changed all of our plans, in underneath God as God's chosen ones, it cannot change God's purpose for your life. And so if you are living as God's chosen ones, you're living inside of the purpose in which he is intended, grand purpose. And so these tiny decisions that you make, 
they can't screw up his long-term purpose for you. Even when you make decisions that hurt you and hurt other people, haven't you seen God do this renewing and redeeming work to even make those things work for his ultimate purpose? See, in decision-making, how we view what God will do based on what we decide to do that day reveals to us if we believe that we are a chosen son or daughter that God is pleased with and loves, or if we are an orphan, scared that if we make the wrong decision, nothing good will come. But it also comes up when problems strike, right? When problems strike, where do we run? That's revealing. That's revealing of whether or not we believe that there is a father we can trust in God and run to that wants to bless and provide for us, Or if a problem comes and we think, I just got to fix it. I got to launch all my effort into it. I don't even need him. It's all on me to make it right. And in fact, because there's problems, that means he doesn't care about me in the first place. Because if I was God's chosen one, then it would just be smooth sailing and easy. Does anyone feel that way? That it's like if God really loves me, my life should be much smoother than it is right now. If God really loves the world, the world should be much smoother than it is right now. And yet, God never promised it would be easy. God called us and said, you're going to be victorious. You're going to be courageous. You're going to become more than conquerors in Christ. You're going to be repairers of the streets. You're going to be repairers and bringers together of the breaches of the gaps of society. You're going to bring justice where there is no justice. You're going to bring peace where there is no peace. None of that is easy. That calling that God has on us is not easy. So why do we think the training ground is going to be easy as well? When we face these problems, it is to make us these victorious ones, to make us these courageous ones, to build us up in strength so that we can one day accomplish the justice that he longs to see in this world, to bring to those who are broken that peace and healing that they need because we've overcome it. Jesus says, in this life you will face troubles, but do not lose heart. I have overcome the world. And then he bestows upon us the title of overcomer as another child. God has chosen you to be a son or a daughter. And like he says to Jesus, you are my son and daughter in whom I am well pleased, he wants to say to you, but he's a good dad and he's not going to force it on you. He's not going to force you to live as a son or a daughter. He's not going to force you and thrust you and demand and push you. He's going to present it to you and say, will you walk by faith as my son, as my daughter? And so the choice is laid out in front of you. And he says, it does not depend on your performance. It does not depend on your perfection. It does not depend on you achieving success and then I choose you as if it's some draft based upon what you've proven and your future potential. No, he's taken that off the table because he said, my love choosing you has led me in Jesus to come and prove and perform on your behalf. His choice on you is not based on you. His choice on you is based in Jesus Christ. 
And when you place your faith in him, all the promises of the chosen one given to Jesus are now given to you, his chosen ones, he says. The full body of Christ. Jesus says, I will go to great lengths to show you what I will do for those I've chosen. He laid down his life on the cross, dying for everything that is killing you so that he could defeat and crush every ounce of sin, every ounce of the enemy's work against your life, so that in the victory of the resurrection, he could say, now I bestow upon you by the power of the Holy Spirit everything I have done and every status that I now achieve, so that now in Christ, you are his son and daughter and he's well pleased, you are his beloved. And so when you doubt that the blessings on God are going to continue in your life, or when you worry that this, is, this problem is going to affect you so much that it cannot kind of move your life forward, remember that death couldn't defeat Jesus. So nothing can stand in God's way of his purposes for your life. You are God's chosen ones if you place your faith in Christ. Because he says, this is for you. But you have to choose it. Now, what God has kind of made the connection for me this week is what happens when you walk and live as a chosen one versus walking and living as an orphan. And not only what happens, but how you do it. See, the promises that are listed out here in Colossians chapter 3 are that when you are living as a chosen one, you get to put on the character and the characteristics of Christ, that patience that you long for, the humility, the gentleness. But also you get to have the peace that you're desperate for in this moment. Those promises are for the chosen ones to give, give from God to you. But they're also conditional. Because you can't just receive these promises as chosen ones without walking the path of the chosen ones. And here he describes two kind of qualifiers to help you see. And this is the path he wants you to walk. He wants you to walk as holy. And he wants to walk walk as beloved. Holy and beloved. He said you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So the question is, How do you live as holy and how do you live as beloved? And he's very clear. Now, using the language of holy also has baggage. Because in our mind, the baggage of holiness is someone who is boring, who is stodgy, who is prude, who has no fun. (laughs) Right? And so we have to deal with this connotation because holiness was not meant to carry baggage. It was meant to carry a blessing. Because there's only one who is holy and that has been described as holy forever until you were described as holy in Jesus. And that's God himself. Throughout the entire Old Testament, the greatest qualifier to define God was holy, which at its core means pure. And pure from anything that brings death. And so he is full life, holy, 
cure of anything that is death and disease or discouragement, despair, any of those things. He is pure life. But often holiness to you means private morality, but God is not a private moral God. His holiness is manifested in his purity of love to come and make things pure that he touches. That's why in Jesus, when Jesus comes to touch the lepers, he cleanses them and heals them. When Jesus comes to deal with those who are held captive by demons, he sets them free because his purity can has the power to drive out all impurities. Everything that is oppressing you and causing you to feel death and discouragement right now, Jesus can come and bring holiness to. And Jesus, as he walked the earth, he confronted this baggage because the Pharisees, holding tight to the idea that private morality will result in public blessing of God, were looking at the way Jesus lived and how he interacted with everyone, no matter their lifestyle. And they judged all their lifestyles and said, you can't interact with them. That makes you unclean, impure, unholy. And Jesus says, go and look at the scriptures again. Because here's what I desire. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That he combines morality and purity with mercy and love. See, we hear holy and we think missing out. But when God says you're holy, he's saying, now live out my love and my mercy and my purity because purity is something he wants to remove from you so that you bring no harm to your life, that you bring no harm to other people. See, the impurities of sin, which is rebellion against God, rebellion against his design in your life, will not allow you to love other people. You won't be able to live out this holiness for the world that is in desperate need of it. And in Jesus, he says, I've bestowed upon you that title. Now go and live in this pure morality with mercy. Remove from you the impurities that attack your soul. Remove from you the impurities that attack every relationship. That's why he goes on to say, as God's chosen ones holy... Bear with one another and forgive one another. Because he knows that though he calls you holy, you and I are not holy. When we are in our deepest honesty, we recognize the core of our hearts are not desiring the things of God and we have not lived in line with God's desires. And in that unholiness, there is guilt and there is conviction and there is shame at times. But that's not of God. God doesn't want you to feel guilty or ashamed. He doesn't want to judge you on that. That's why in Jesus it says, as the Lord forgave you, now forgive others. See, he wants us to exist as this body of Christ, as those who have been forgiven and forgive often and early. Because I think one of the reasons we walk this tightrope in the world, thinking that if we say the wrong thing, if we decide the wrong thing. We're, we're put with this false dichotomy regularly that we have to choose one side over the other. And if we do, the culture and our friends will cancel us and outcast us. It's because we haven't sat underneath a God who never does. 
that no matter what we choose, no matter what we do, no matter how we live, because of his choice of love and holiness to bestow on us, he always forgives. His grace abounds even though your sin abounds. Forgiveness. And I believe that the world is desperate for a people that live like this Colossians 3 passage. As one body that can be patient with each other, tolerant when you get it wrong, rejoicing when you get it right, and then forgiving when the offense is just too much that it hurts other people. How are you living right now? Are you living in unforgiveness and impatience, not bearing with one another with the same love bestowed upon you? See, we want the peace, but it comes with the path that we might walk in this holiness that God has designed, a holiness that, yes, deals with kind of the impurities that hurt us and others, but is merciful to others as well, a morality with mercy. You are holy in Christ. Now, the second thing he says is you need to live as beloved. This is my favorite part of this passage. Beloved. Because that language is the language that God the Father uses about Jesus Christ, beloved. He's saying, you are my favorite and I will do anything for you. That's what it means to be beloved. You are my favorite and I will do anything for you. Now, favorite also sounds exclusive because it sounds very narrow of who can be your real favorite. That's why my kids ask me all the time, which of us are your favorite? I said, that's an easy answer. <laughs> You're my favorite Eli. You're my favorite Calvin. You're my favorite Maya. See, this is how God looks at you, saying, you are my favorite child that I've designed specifically with your name, with your talents, with your gifts. You are my favorite. I designed you with the specific role that you have made, and you are loved. You are beloved. You are beloved. And we need to hear God declare that. One of the things that God does call us to do is to become orphans in this natural world so that we would become children in the supernatural world. From the very beginning, he told, tells Adam and Eve that they are going to cleave to each other and say, leave your father and mother and cleave to your spouse and become one. He calls Abraham out of his family to go and be the new family of God, to be a blessing to all nations. Jesus says that you are to love me so much that it feels like you're rejecting your past life. There's times where we have to remove ourselves from the past and our natural so that we now use, live in this supernatural relationship with God as his beloved. And it's far better than any love that we can experience in this world. Because if we experience this idea of being beloved, we become the people of love that God has called us to be. That's how it manifests as one body. That when we are beloved of God, so cherished, so blessed, so provided for, it becomes easy for us to love one another and love the world. That's why it's easy for him to say, now above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 
See, that language of bond of unity and harmony is the language of ligaments. It is what actually can connect us to function in a healthy way. Love is the ligaments of this body. Outside of that, we are just bones and body parts, unable to fully function for the intent in which God designed for us to go and love a world that is hurting, to heal a world that is sick. But love as the ligaments allows for our body to function with strength and power. But it demands that we put it on. And part of putting it on is to receive from God this designation. I've chosen you to make you holy, to let you feel loved so that you can go and love other people. And right now, I think there's too many ACL tears inside the body of Christ. I think there's too many broken bones inside the body of Christ. And there's too much brokenness in the world. And it is because the love of the ligaments have been torn. But throughout the scriptures, God calls dry bones to come back together and be formed into life. And he is calling us once again as the body of Christ to become that loving, harmonious body where ligaments join the body parts together so that you and your unique design can be joined in others' unique design so that as one body, we become this experience of love. And for that, church, we need to repent. We need to recognize that we as the body of Christ have torn our own ligaments and have not existed as an experience of love to a world desperately looking for it. But we have been like the Pharisees that Jesus experienced, condemning and judging. And so in our repentance, we get to come back from living as orphans to once again being children, loved by our Father so that we can love each other. You are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and the peace that you long for is living in the path of the chosen ones. At the very beginning of this, I said it's a choice. It's a choice that you have to make. And over the, and this past week, I sat down with someone who asked about why I came to New York City and how I became a pastor. And I told him how I had left engineering and I had left kind of this uh, American dream version of someone else's life and became a pastor. And I told him about all the challenges that our family has faced and overcome. And he looked at me, and this is the first time I've ever sat down with this person, and he said, well, has it been worth it? I said, man, that's kind of a deep question. We should buy some drinks first. Like, but it did cause me to pause and ask the question, is it worth it? Because in following Jesus, like I said earlier, it's not promised to be easy. It's not promised to be free of pain and problems and all those things. And as I look back, I can confess that I believed when I was making this choice and following God's call on my life, I thought, surely it's going to be amazing. Surely I will be forever blessed because I'm sacrificing so much for God. And when I didn't experience those material blessings that I anticipated and hoped for, there were times when I said, it's not worth it, God. If this is how you treat your children, how can I tell other people to come and be your child? 
But in that moment, as he was asking me, was it worth it? I reflected back, not just on what we've experienced, but who we've become as a result of walking with God in it. And I said, without these pains, without these problems, without these challenges, I'm not the man I am today. I'm not the husband I am today. I'm not the father I am today. I don't get to experience the joy as our family that I get to experience today. And it's not because I did it. It's because in every pain and every problem, I came to God and said, I'm still your child and I'm trusting you. Be my dad right now. Guide me through this. And every time, he's been faithful. Every time he's provided. Every time he's healed. And so even as I sort through the continuing problems of my soul, I say he's going to do it again. He's going to do it again. And so it is worth it to continue. Even as I face these problems, even as I face these questions, even as we face this pandemic that I just want to end, I will still trust and I will draw near so that I can experience the promises of God. Continuing to say, I believe I'm your chosen one, a child that you love, that you want to make holy, and that you're just using this to refine me. You're just using this to remove from me the impurities so that I can be holy, and you're removing all these things where I think I can find love so that I just find love in you most, so that it becomes easy to love a world around me. So if any of you are asking, is this following Jesus thing worth it? My testimony is yes and amen. Yes and amen. And I never want to experience the suffering that I've experienced in the past again, and I might. But I never, ever want to experience any of those sufferings or anything that life can throw, out, throw at me without my Savior and without being God's chosen ones. There is no peace without His presence. And that's what I long for you to have more than anything. And so let's pray that we would experience being His chosen ones, His children. Father, God of the universe, we get to call you dad. And the scriptures tell us you are a giver of all good gifts. So Father, help us to see that if it's not good, it's not you. But help us in the midst of our pain and our problems to come back to you to pause and surrender again and to say no matter the cost, no matter the challenge, I will forever be your child, your chosen one. God, make us a body that is holy and beloved. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.